I realize that more and more people are sort of in this sort of little community uh, than I expected anyway. So for me, uh, mom, I'm <laughs> mom, I'm in a meeting. I am so sorry. Oh, that, that's <laughs> going at the top of the episode right there. Can we please? <laughs> that's going at the top that's of the episode. so good. Oh, that God. is the best. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ad Nerdium. I am your host, Patrick Salerno, and with me today for this stasis chamber, I have Will Roach, Mark Cooley, and Dr. Sean Ramsey. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing all right, Pat. How about you? There we go. There's some enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we're going to be recapping the episodes of the month, having a nice casual conversation about any of the nerd shit that just kind of comes into our heads and maybe will and mark will go on a wandavision rant at the end of this oh who knows though (laughs) we will see (laughs) so mark and dr ramsey your guys's episodes had uh, a couple of connecting points that i found very interesting and i found it particularly interesting because i wasn't a part of those conversations so i get to now be the one to follow up and to add my own two cents to this all. Um, but where, where I saw some connections is with the idea of acceptance. Uh, Mark, you and Haley talked a lot about just opening up your mind and being willing to try these new things and not judging people for what they're doing. Um, Dr. Ramsey and Will, you guys spent a lot of time talking about the other end of acceptance of how do you deal with people who aren't accepting and who have said or done things that uh, have caused harm in a or several communities. So the, the first question I have, bringing it to a more macro level, is I wanted to talk about the, the successes and failures of acceptance in the nerd community. Uh, I, and then maybe f- focusing that into certain subsections or subcultures within our larger culture of nerddom. Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty broad. Um, I guess maybe I'll start with some, some small anecdotal stories of things that I've experienced myself. Um, and so when I hit grad school, I moved like 2000 miles away. Right. And um, I was looking for some some RPG communities and, you know, the nerd communities back then weren't as, I don't know, overt or, or publicly available as they are now. You know, you couldn't just kind of wander around and find one, I, I feel like, readily. And maybe that's still not true, um, but I feel like the the Internet and things like that have made it much more accessible than it used to be anyway so i found a group um and i went to it and there's there's like three or four games going on i'm brand new to the community and i'm like hey you know i want to play with y'all and um they were like well we don't have any room in any of our games right now and i'm just thinking like 
how do, how do you do that? Right? Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, and it, it starts small like that with, with this, with this idea of we're not going to welcome new folks. Um, and, and, and that, you know, can be for any reason, whether maybe, maybe they legitimately were full and they were, they were pretty full, but I never went back there. Like you have to open new folks with open arms, no matter what. Um, and that's, that's pretty important. Uh, and, and I haven't, I haven't listened to Mark's episode yet. Um, but maybe, maybe that's a lot of what you all were talking about. For So, okay. So the interesting thing that you pointed out there was you said that like not a lot of people really sort of, you, you don't really find nerds walking down the street or anything like that. I don't know. And within my experience anyway, and the things that I'm a fan of, such as like, I don't know, pretty much everything that we talked about in my episodes of like Steven Universe, Naruto, like all these like really great animated shows, Bojack Horseman and everything like that. And even going outside of that, if you're looking at, I don't know, what's something super popular, Marvel movies, right? Like the most basic thing, like everyone loves Marvel movies now. And I think that, I think nerdum sort of, or maybe like being a geek or something like that. um, I think it's just what's happening now. I think with kids my age, I think uh, in high school, I remembered being so surprised that other kids that I considered to be like super popular and super preppy and like the kids that I least expected to have any sort of uh, similarity with me at the time. Um, I realized that those people I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase it. Uh, those people are the ones I ended up being most similar to um, just because they also were sort of like, uh, not really like hiding. I guess I guess I'll say hiding, just because again, like I said, kids in high school are more judgmental than anything. Um, but I realize that more and more people are sort of in this sort of little community uh, than I expected, anyway. So for me, uh, mom, I'm <laughs> mom, I'm in a meeting. I am so sorry. Oh, that, that's <laughs> going at the top of the episode right there. Can we please? <laughs> that's going at the top that's of the episode. so good. Oh, that God. is the best. I love it. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, my, my, my main point is I'm like rambling, but mainly I've just noticed that it's more and more kids that are sort of in these little nerdy communities than, uh, than I anticipate. And I don't know if it's just because, I don't know, maybe it's more mainstream than it was um, Dr. Ramsey, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 43, 40, I yeah. think. See, I don't know. Maybe yeah, if it was, right. I don't know if it's changed within the last 20 years. Maybe it's because of how successful these Marvel movies are or anything like that. But I've just noticed that sort of being a nerd is cooler, I guess, now. Yeah, nerddom and geekdom has been on the rise for sure. Um, but you know, I, I've seen and and it's it's gotten better. Um, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but I've seen like even inside these kind of nerd communities, like a lot of judgment. So, so one example would be, you know, I, I started playing magic in 94, like right when it came out. Right. Um, and then Pokemon happened and what's really funny is, is that like the group of nerds playing magic is like picking on all of the, the kids who loved Pokemon and the Pokemon game comes out. Like, look at those nerds playing Pokemon. And it's like, 
you you know that's you right like you know you're you're literally riffing on yourself and so it was really interesting to me to then be a professor and like 20 years later see students coming in like wearing pokemon stuff and i was just like well this is blowing my mind because this is like what all of the people who were playing magic with me were making fun of like and now you're just openly wearing it so i think the rise of geekdom and and nerddom is is certainly here uh, i'm thankful for it because i'm I'm a self-proclaimed geek and nerd, but um, it is interesting to watch that that evolution happen for sure. Um, I think one thing that really helps with this perceived like broadening of nerddom itself, I think it's very tied to access. Um, I think there's a lot more ways for people to get a taste of something and then dive deeper. Like... Uh, for Magic the Gathering, it used to be like you'd have to buy the cards. And if you didn't have money to buy the cards, you couldn't really do Magic. Uh, but now there's like Magic the Gathering Arena. It's free. They give you some cards to start out with and you can earn the currency to get more cards. Or even uh, even in terms of like uh, free resources on the internet to help people uh, like get into these things. Um, or the wide availability of media nowadays with um it used to be you'd have to either get a vhs from japan or stay up late on some uh on some american broadcast television who put it through their own censoring and editing in the in the dub process to even see anime but now you can see uh now studios are even dubbing their own anime for different languages and then producing it themselves on uh, on internet services that are branded on, hey, you want to watch anime? Here's like, pay us five bucks and you can watch literally all of it. Like, go crazy. I mean, I think the internet um, has been crucial um, and media. Like, you, you can watch a Marvel movie. You don't have to, like, read 40 comics to, to kind of get a storyline. It's It's so much more accessible and it can be passively accessible and i think that that can be important too there's there's a lot of different things that i think have converged over the years that have led to it um i think ac across the board the different subcultures of nerd have all become more popular and all around the same time uh you know if you look at the original iron man movie as like a kind of a progenitor of this this kind of cinematic universe, although, you know, they were superhero movies long before the, you know, Iron Man came to be, but a lot of people do credit uh, that, you know, credit Robert Downey Jr. and that Iron Man movie for kick-starting kick the superhero craze. However, at a, a, at a very similar time frame, uh, more and more D&D &D podcasts started coming up. I remember one of the first ones, um, Acquisitions Incorporated, and they started around that same time too. And so you had all these different things happening as the with the emergence of the smartphone, which happened, I think, around 2008, 2010, or something like that. Um, so it really just seems like it was the right place at the right time that you had this growth in what became, you know, social media, uh, the golden years of YouTube back in 2011 and 2012. Ooh, I miss um, those days. It's different now. It's different. It's not the same. Um, yeah. I, I mean, 
it's kind of interesting. Like you think, yeah, you you list Iron Man as kind of the progenitor, and that's interesting. But and I and we mentioned accessibility, but it's not like Adam West wasn't portraying Batman in the '60s in a '60s sort of way, right? Like it was. I mean, that's pre me. I wasn't even born then. Um, so it's interesting how I, I feel like there had to be a more global culture shift of some some sense, right? It can't just be. I mean, I don't. I don't think you could list one movie no, or no. And uh, that that was the point I was trying to make of like this convalescence of all sorts of different things. I mean, you know, my dad was watching the original Doctor Who. Uh, with you know, back in the days of Tom Baker, uh, when he was a kid, he was up watching the original Star Trek. Like n- uh, nerds have always existed. Um, I remember we had a guest on uh, Clark Oliver, who went to one of the first, if not the first, Star Trek convention when he was like six or eight years old. Oh wow! Um, so they they exist, and like the nerd community has always exist existed. Sorry. But I, I think the conv- I think social media, uh, and that ability to form those internet connections, allowed all of us to go back to 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 go beyond the restrictions of our locality, um, and I think that because these things happened at the same time, Iron Man acquisitions incorporated um, the guild. Felicia's Days, The Guild, um, all of these little things that were all happening in their own sphere, we were able to latch on to it and connect with each other. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I remember predating the internet, having to go and find a game store, which, you know, might be an hour away or whatever, finding a comic book or game store. And having to post notes on a wall and say, hey, you know, give me a give me a phone call at my landline phone if maybe you'd be interested in a D&D game. And sometimes that's how you found players for your D&D game, right? Like, super different time. And then once the internet breaks free, suddenly there are, are places to go to find, to find folks to play with. Um, and like in grad school, that's how I did eventually find my gaming group. Like I, I posted some things online and some of my best friends to this day, right? Like responded to that message. And, and that's how we got together because the group that I went to was not open and accessible. I had to go find some other avenue. I, I mean, and now it's so easy. I know you're the advisor for WIGS, uh, the board gaming club on campus. And, you know, there's a whole huge discord going with all sorts of different chat rooms for you know everyone who is on campus and off campus just to kind of get those connections and posting ideas and calling out for players i think there's a an entire chat room devoted to calling out for players it's so easy yeah um actually it's uh, it's funny you bring that up because i remember there's a story of how uh my best friend who's a big Star Wars guy, his brother actually got into uh, Dungeons and Dragons just solely because uh, a classmate of his liked a tweet that was like related to Dungeons and Dragons. And you know, like when you follow people, it says this person liked blah, 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 blah. And he messaged him and he was like, Hey, I'm super interested in this. Can you 
can I like come to your next meeting or whatever like that? And he's like, yeah, totally. And they have been playing Dungeons and Dragons, I think ever since seventh grade now. I think mm. they're in college. So now they're sophomores in college. All because of a tweet. All oh. because of a tweet. All because one person liked something and they, and they saw it. <laughs> I think, I think there is a large amount of that idea bringing people in and being like, oh, you don't know about this thing? That's okay. Here, Here's how it happens. Like, I feel like it could have been earlier, like, oh, you don't even know how to, like, summon a monster in magic? Like, what are you even doing? Uh, but nowadays, it's more like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, if you really don't know a lot of the stuff about this weird type of uh, card uh, combo, uh, here, here's a YouTube video for it. That's how I learned. And it's more just like, we all got there through someone else telling us how, and that's what makes it so others can go as well. It's like passing on what was given to you, in a sense. Right, like not not being a gatekeeper, so to speak, right? Like trying to... I mean, I, I think... I, I don't know that geeks and nerds of, of my day were intentionally gatekeepers, Um. I think I think it was a matter more of they didn't feel socially accepted for their interests more so than anything else. And so they became kind of these, I don't know, self-policing communities in a way like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to say this secret inside thing. And uh, if you understand it, you're one of us. And if you don't, then um, I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. We're going to let that go and we'll talk about things that you care about. Right. Like, um, So this is this 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 ability to make that shift is so important to be able to invite new people in and you know let people know what your interests are and and the the internet social media like it makes it way easier to do that um and it makes it way easier to take a rejection if someone is like nerd like all right whatever you know i've got a hundred friends over here who will back me up and well i'll talk to them instead right it makes it easier to accept when someone else doesn't accept your interest or whatever I think that's a big part of it is that th- that seclusion, that forced isolation that was put on the nerd community um, that led to a bit of a fear that may have kept other people out who were genuinely interested. Uh, gatekeeping is, I mean, it's still an issue. Uh, it's still an issue for nerds, and it is an issue that we ourselves create. I mean, I, I consider myself a socially awkward person, so, like... I, I still like am am wary of any any jock type people that wanna wanna be my friend because I'm like no no you don't what are you doing what are you what are you playing at um, and that's something I need to get over too it's like no like it, it doesn't matter you know it, it's just we can all enjoy this thing together and the and the stereotypes that have been ingrained upon us need to be overcome. Well, so so thinking about Mark's episode a little bit. Um, does, does, is there an inevitable proliferation of, of, of an interest that makes it acceptable eventually, right? So, so pick something that doesn't exist yet, right? Um, and say one in a billion people are going to be interested in this thing. You know, after 10 years go by, that doubles the number of people that might be interested in the thing because people are born and and, and die and things like that, right? So is it the case that no matter what your interest is, 
eventually there will be a critical mass such that that thing is not, you know, socially awkward to be a part of that group anymore. Is that is that an idea that tracks? Is it the fact that like nerds just had to wait this period of time so that, you know, we got Star Trek, we got Star Wars, we got Iron Man finally showed up the movie, you know, that, that we finally had this critical mass of stuffs such that we we got to the point where it also flipped the socially acceptable switch. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, no, totally. I think, yeah. Um, I think also just something that we should, mm, I don't know. I, uh, I'm just thinking about everything you said earlier about a, 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 a combination of steps in order to sort of get us to this position. But I think another thing that we're, that I, I don't know that I'm just thinking about anyway, is just how well, uh, how well made things are. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, you have to consider, I don't want to keep going back to Iron Man, but I mean, the Iron Man movie, like a lot of people consider that to be within like the top three movies of the Marvel franchise. You know what I mean? So I think also it's just observing the quality of things also brings a lot of people in. And once they see for themselves that it is something to take notice of and be a part of, it's, it's rewarding, I guess. Well, to, to Dr. Ramsey's point and to connect it to yours, um, the, the D and D players of, you know, the nineties and the eighties who were shunned became the television writers who, and the screenwriters who brought us the movies that we loved that became these big action packed thrillers. Um, you know, I mean, John Favreau was a nerd. I, I don't know what he, if he played D&D, but I know he was a nerd, a lifelong nerd. Um, and so when our, that kind of proliferation is kind of seeded through and their work and then they're coming to this and creating, as Mark was saying, these better quality movies, you know, taking their love of these stories and giving them more justice than maybe previous generations was able to because of technology and because of their own geekery, uh, then fueled even more people who would become fans. Um, I also think there's a lot of, uh, speaking of there's like the cultural turn, I feel like there's a lot of more prominent figures who just accept it and state it proudly like you mentioned John Favreau but there's also uh Joe Manganiello who uh is a in a bunch of action movies is a is a well-known actor but also goes yeah I have my own brand of heavy metal plus Dungeons and Dragons based clothing wear because to be honest that's what I wanted to wear as a kid and now I'm making sure other kids who want that can have it yeah and like I'm, I'm aware that on my sleeve and like Vin Diesel was another big name that popped up for me where he's like, yeah, I play D and D. Um, and, and that was, I don't know, that was interesting for us to hear when, it, when we heard that. And it speaks to the power of that, that, you know, as you mentioned, these hidden communities of nerds, you never knew who was it. So yeah, you've got, you know, Joe Manganiello who would, you know, punch someone in the face uh, for their reputation as a kid was also the big D&D guy, Vin Diesel, the big D&D guy. And so I think there could have been more popularity. There just wasn't interconnectivity. You know, D&D was flying off the shelves during the satanic panic. Um, 
but you, you didn't know who else was with you because there was no way to, to, to let it be known. Oh, geez. My, my favorite, I guess one of my favorite anecdotal stories is that I was in grad school at the grocery store and we were, we were buying munchies and drinks for the game. We we're about to go to a and d game and like we, we get to the drink aisle and there is a and d player's handbook sitting there. And we're just like, is this one of yours? And like, n- like, no, we, we all came in together. You know, we didn't set this here. Like, this can't be like, who is it? We have to know. Like, do we sit here and just wait for this person <laughs> to come back for this book? Like, we should play together, right? Like, they were such pockets of communities that you knew were out there. It's just, I don't know. They were all in isolation. Excuse me. Um, yeah. And... I think that's why social media is that proliferator in chief more so than any of the individual movies or the quality of the movies. But for the first time, people had the ability to really connect with each other about those things. And so, yes, you know, acquisitions incorporated, uh, role 20, um, sorry, critical role, um, they all uh, they all did things. They did new things. But people have been doing new things forever. It's just now there was an ability for the fan base to connect with each other in a way they, they weren't able to. Um, with your point, though, I, I am interested, Dr. Ramsey, if the natural extension of that proliferation is also an eventual extinction. Um, oh, no. That we're, we're seeing this nerd boom... But does that then mean that there will be a bust in the ne- in our generation? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, can we think of... So, maybe not, right? We're, we're living... We're living in an age in which... Um, maybe it will be. Um, or, or maybe it's just that the nerddom will change, right? Kind of like when, when, when I was playing Magic, where it was like, it's okay to play Magic, it's not okay to play Pokemon. Like that was a, a culture group that I was surrounded by. Um, and even though I made fun of the people making fun of them, like that didn't change their, their culture that existed in that group. So it does make me wonder if, you know, there, there isn't, People are dynamic. They can be interested in more than one thing. But if there isn't some some new bubble that we don't see coming yet, that kind of pushes these to the outskirts. But I don't think they go away. Like I don't I don't think that's the problem or the issue. Um, but there's got to be stuff that that shows up that's new. Um, I don't know what that is. One well, unlike the prolifer- proliferation of like nerd stuff through rap culture. Um, I like Dragon Ball Z and like references to Dragon Ball Z have become like its own sub language within rap culture. Like there's, there was like, it was enough that there was an entire Vox video about it. Like, I, I wonder though, with that sort of stuff, like, I think 
there, there's two layers to that, right? There's the, those who are who love it and are the are the fans, which it sounds like the people that you specifically mentioned are. But then I think there is the enjoyment of the meme, which is a different thing, right? Like, how are you a fan of the show or do you appreciate the meme? Um, which is not necessarily it. It it's not a devaluation, but it is certainly a devaluation of the story. Because you're not interested in the context of what it was this story and those writers and those artists were trying to impart on you. You're, you're interested in the cultural phenomenon that it has become. I, I mean, I think that part is inevitable of anything that hits um, mainstream. It depends on what you mean by mainstream, too, I guess. But I, I think meme culture is here to stay and... And that's something to expect. Um, I'm curious. I, I kind of am curious about what happens, you know, when the next big thing comes. Because we're, we're more in, interconnected than we've ever been as a, as a race, as, as a human race, than ever before. And so what happens to the next big bubble that comes by, you know, like, There, there are definitely technologies that make some other technologies um, worthless. Maybe is the word, and and does that change? Does that change what's in or what's new? Or yeah, um, I think so. What's good? I mean, if we're talking about technologies, you know, YouTube does not seem to be the kind of progenitor of social media creation anymore it seems that all of the really popular and famous new internet personalities are on tiktok and that's where there is an exploration of creation um in on youtube now it's like you know cnn has a youtube page uh, MSNBC, Fox News, you watch all the established people now, you know, um, most of the stuff I watch on YouTube, yeah, it's no longer new artists or creatives or up and coming or personalities. It's, uh, let me watch the latest episode of Stephen Colbert. Let me watch what John Oliver's doing. Like it, it, the technologies have changed. And I think that also means there's a different kind of w- they they are creating new things. You know, you're not going to have a, a a vlogger really on on TikTok the same way that you had, you know, vlog brothers on YouTube. You know, but but this is interesting because folks should be listening to that, right? John Oliver, John Stewart, all these people should be listening to that and they should get on TikTok and they should post 90 seconds and then videos. take it over. Um I, I, so I don't know what's about taking it over, but like, if, if that is the source from which you get interesting or creative information, then it will eventually, um, attract folks who can do so because they, they are in some sense extracting money from that. Right. And, and, and part of the reason YouTube gets quote taken over is because, once, once these media outlets discover that that's the new avenue or new vehicle to to push, I don't know if you want to call it an agenda, but but to get their information out there, 
then they're earning money back off of that information, right? <laughs> but you have to say, but you have to say, Mom, I'm in a meeting. Um, I th you, you have a point, but I think the problem is once those entities make the shift... I think that's a sign that the mine is, uh, the oil well is drying up, right? The mine is running empty. Oh, but, but that's why it's important. So, so imagine you, you were one of these talk show hosts, right? Why aren't you on that platform right now? Why not? What, like, you have to pivot as soon as the fad pivots, right? And I, I don't know if I want to call it a fad or not, but, you know, what's pop, the popular platform does seem to move a bit. Um, and, and you have to pivot to those, you know, you get your Instagram, your YouTube, your TikTok, your Twitch, um, and, and that complements your, whatever your thing actually is. Right? I get that. I think what I'm, I'm saying and where I'm disagreeing is I think that pivot is a bad thing, not for those companies. I, I'm sure it's great for them, but it's a bad thing for the, for for the creatives, for the new people. Um, because at that point, if you're not established, you're not getting anywhere. I mean, how many people these days have new successful YouTube shows? And, you know, not to self throw some self-shade, new successful podcasts. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> well, that is very kind of you. Um, so... It, it, it is a sign that the, the space for ingenuity is being, is being diminished. You know, everybody, when, when Felicia Day was I... doing the Guild, that was a new thing on YouTube. When Acquisitions Incorporated, Penny Arcade, when they were doing that, that was new and something genuine. Uh, how many people have a D and D podcast these days? How many people have D and D shows? What are what are they doing, except clouding the market? And like everyone should be happy. Everybody should be able to make the things they want. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. I'm I'm owning myself, but that ability for something new and fun to emerge. And maybe this is me just being cynical, but it seems to go away. I, I, I don't expect a new wave of YouTube creatives to burst into the scene anymore. I think it's done. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to push back on that a little bit because I think with the emergence of technology and the emergence of, like, the Internet and multiple different outlets for you to do something, there's become more space. Um, I mean, back in the 60s, if you wanted to get something to everyone, you better have a TV show or radio show or uh, be backed by a major comic company. Otherwise, you don't get to do that, that. And I think in the, like, in the 2000s, when, like, smartphones and technical capabilities and the internet were really starting to show their broad appeal and show how much you can do with it, it became an i it became a an idea of okay put something out there and if only like 3% of the people who see it like it 
that still might be millions of people. And the thing is, sure, that does bring out some things like, oh, we can just exploit people now because now I can put my highly successful TV show on this platform and then have a highly successful YouTube show. But, I mean, if that were the only thing that was happening, I mean, YouTube would be dead. Now, there are there are even people who started on YouTube. Uh, Mr. Beast is the example that comes to my mind. Started on YouTube doing small stuff, were able to earn so much money and make it their life because of the community that, that, that was built out of it. And now they're almost too big for the platform themselves with uh, doing challenges like, I'm going to give away a house. Like, what? Um, and it seems daunting to go up against that, but to be honest, what I think we've fallen into in terms of, I guess, art creatively is if you have the ability to have other people hear it, listen it, see it, watch it, someone's going to like that and someone's going to validate it and your cost of doing so is becoming less and less and less. I mean, being able to do like full animated skits used to be like a astronomically expensive thing to produce and show. And now people, now there's like entire like subsections of YouTube of people just animating bits of audio from other stuff because they want to and it's fun and people latch onto that and validate it. And I think it's just more, it's not that there will be a bigger bubble that pushes out any, anything else. It may be for the mainstream, but in terms of the space, I think it just adds another bubble. The only time limiter here is time itself, like how much time people have to put into something. I mean, I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh with my brothers all the time. I don't play it as much anymore, but if there's something cool, I'll still look at it. And there's some, still some people who fully dive into it. Um, I just think that the what happened was there was space. I, I think I mostly agree with Will here, and that, and that is that there is... I, I, I agree with both of you. Um, there is this sense, especially like in TikTok right now, that um, that that it's that it's raw, kind of almost an amateur space um, to do some of these things. But if you look carefully, that's just not true. Um, there's there's plenty of professionals that are doing their thing um, on TikTok, but um, I I also think that there's space to be discovered and, and to get big and to have your thing become known. And that maybe right now, TikTok is an easier place to do that than say YouTube. Um, but I think, I think when you look back far enough and, and where we're, where we've been, that we're in one of the most open times that you can be, you know, you want to write a book and get it out to as many people as possible. Like that, that doesn't, you can just do it, right? You you want to you want to make podcasts, put it out there on the internet. It's it's almost free 
to do that in this in this world that we're in. And and while there are a million other folks doing the same thing, um, this the space exists for you to do so in a way that it never did before. Um, but there are definitely places that are going to be areas where where you can more easily be discovered, um, more easily explode. You know, I, I think right now that is that it is TikTok over YouTube, but there are still people that are getting big on YouTube, but they're almost always subsidizing with other platforms too. Like I think Dream has only been on YouTube for like a year. Um, and this is the Minecraft mm-hmm. debacle. Um, and he's done some pretty smart things business-wise to make sure he got pretty popular, I think. But, um, but um, and we could talk about that maybe sometime. But at the same time, I, I get what you, I get what you're saying in the sense that like it would be nice to have a place for creatives to meet and kind of do their thing. Um, and and I agree with that sentiment, but. But I don't know that if it's going to be kind of out there and publicly available that it's truly yeah. ever going to be just this like. I think I think I was a little inelegant with my 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 comments on the D&D stuff. I, I still stand by that. I think the kind of power the power dynamics, at least on YouTube, seem to favor established people. In or if you if that's something you want to do and you want to make something and you want to be able to at least partially fund it, um, it feels as if the way like you I mean you hear all the stuff going on with the YouTube market uh, and the ad stuff. Um, I do think it tends to favor either pre-established people who are already making a lot of money or those more corporate entities who have moved in. But I certainly agree with what both you and Will said about the the space existing for people to make projects that they enjoy and being able to have the space to find some sort of people to enjoy it with and i think that that's kind of was the purpose of of this podcast too was just to find something to share with the people that we enjoy yeah i mean you can't get money from youtube until you have a pretty significant number of subscribers and and followers and whatnot. Um, so I guess I, I guess I would agree with that. And on TikTok, you're generally not getting anything um, as somebody just posting. And so all of that might be reasons why kind of the corporate vehicles haven't tackled TikTok yet. Um, but if they were smart, they would. And I don't know that they would dominate the platform because you only get 60 seconds, right? Like, done with you moving on i think it also it it goes with tastes and audiences right i i don't know how cnn would top the best tiktokers uh because it's it's just a different platform and i mean let's not i'm not going to pretend that valuable news is not shared via tiktok there's an entire group of people who make dance videos to very important news articles uh, to try to get people's attention. So it can be a very valuable information sharer. Um, But I I don't see Andrew Cuomo or Don Lemon, you know, dabbing as music is playing in the background uh, in order to share their article. Um. 
Yeah. I mean, to to that point, I don't know if anyone would have expected Twitter to be as much of a political platform as it because as it has become. It's. I mean, I I can see why though, because Twitter is fast. It's really, really easy to link an article. It's really, really easy for a jur- Like, I mean, Twitter is the political platform because all of the journalists are on Twitter. You know, like, not everyone is on Twitter. But it has become the most easy way for any, any reporters to just be like, this is happening. Uh, you know, I follow the PBS NewsHour on Twitter as well as uh, some of their reporters and... When all of the impeachment stuff was going on, I was refreshing Twitter every 30 seconds to see uh, what uh, Yamiche Alcindor was saying on Twitter, because it was like, she was there, and every five seconds, you know, she'd have a new tweet. This just happened. This just happened. Uh, I just spoke to this person. The press pool is saying this. So that medium of a tweet, of a tweet, of a tweet. <laughs> oh, I was going to point that one uh, out. The tweet. Uh, I'm talking too much, that's why, uh, of a tweet works very well for that really quick, succinct breaking news. This is happening. So so TikTok couldn't satisfy it that? It could, maybe, who knows. Uh, but I think it would have to be set to music and dancing. <laughs> it's a very visual platform. Like I think that's the difference, is Twitter is not a very visual platform. But but we watch these people, right? You like you watch John Oliver on TV, even though he's in front of a white background, and like there's not a lot going on there. Like we we watch we watch these talk shows and news shows with very little visually that. No, happens. but I like I'm not gonna. Maybe I'm alone in this. I'm not gonna keep Twitter open to watch like a 20 minute video on Twitter uh, because the platform just doesn't really support videos that well. Um, but, you know, I will scroll and read, you know, two dozen tweets in the span of three swipes of my finger. And I could have all of the basic, you know, bullet point facts of, you know, what's happening January 6th at the Capitol in 20 seconds. Um, the This topic of like, oh, could this work on blank? is exactly what I love about this new era because it allows anyone who's like, oh, I have an idea of how that could work. Uh, okay, people don't have time to watch the news, but they'll watch TikTok. Okay, what if I explain the uh, what's going on with the impeachment trial in like a 60-second TikTok of me in a lawyer suit with word bubbles around me to help with terminology? Like, it allows for that creativity of like, okay... I see where the limitations are. I see what I have. There you go. And that's one of the things that made Twitter, uh, like, shoot off. You didn't. You didn't have. You had people who were like, "I'm used to writing a full article. How do I say that in like, 180 characters? What?" And then it created that creativity of just like, "I'm going to say what's absolutely necessary, and then I'll add other stuff if I need to." Maybe I should just teach all of my classes from TikTok from now on just to see if it's possible. There you go. It'd be amazing. <laughs> mainly mainly song parodies of stuff like trying to tie it to chemistry or something. You haven't seen my Corvette dance yet? A- Anderson Cooper's there just doing 
doing the movement, but at the same time being like, ah, uh, yes, well, Boeing has found a new airplane that they can use. Like, just doing the dance while just monotonely speaking into the camera. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> happening, though. Like, that is already already there. Um, and, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by the interconnectivity of social media, that you'll get TikToks, and I don't even have one, but, like, I've, I've seen so many because people share them on Instagram. They share them on Twitter. They share them on Facebook. And so even the platforms themselves are interconnected and not isolating. Uh, which, again, speaks to the, as we're talking about, that proliferation of the nerd culture. Um, and, I mean, I, I think it's happening at a faster rate. That it, I think it took longer for teachers and parents to get on Facebook than it did for teachers and parents to get on to Twitter or to, uh, I mean, not Twitter, sorry, or to on to TikTok. Uh, because we're all just getting so ingrained in that, upgrade of that jump to the next platform that you know i mean i i yes i'm nostalgic for 2011 2012 youtube but you know we might not that might not ever be a possible thing again because of how quick major stars assimilate to these new platforms Um, I'd be remiss to not, uh, to not reference computer science at least once with Dr. Ramsey here. Um, but I think it, it could, there's this idea of Moore's law where every... Dr. Ramsey looks very impressed right now. It take, <laughs> uh, it will take less and less time, uh, so every few years it will take less and less time and less and less power and less and less space to do a certain amount of computing uh and that was true for it it, it seemed to hold true for quite a while and the th my thought is is there a sense of like a moore's law reg uh, moore's law like progression in terms of certain media platforms or even nerd culture itself that it kind of has this exponential growth that, like, because this many people are involved, oh, they can spread out to these many people who might have been involved too, and now they're involved, and kind of j this just explosion outward of not only the amount of people involved, but also the public perception of it. It makes sense to me. You know, as the technology grows faster and changes faster... I think our response and in response to it gets faster. You know, we move with it, and the technology becomes an extension of ourselves. Uh, to bring it to cyberpunk, which was the episode, the other episode, you know, that my point from that episode was, you know, right now we're th we are still desperate for upgrades the upgrade for the next best phone, the next best computer, the next best programming software. Um, and that is because that technology is an extension of us. 
And that games like cyberpunk and that world and that genre of fiction show us how it controls us by removing the barrier. That it's no longer an external problem, it's an internal one. That it's your eyes need upgrading. Your CPU in the back of your head needs upgrading. You know, get a new arm. Like, it's the same thing. You look uh, puzzled there, Dr. Ramsey. Um, you know, they're, they're <laughs> Moore's Law is a little bit different. Um, but, but that's the right sense, I think. Um, the, the push to kind of include... Hmm, all right, hold on. Let me, let me start this thought over for a second. I think you're right that we have an, a, virtu a virtual identity and that it is part of us um, and that, you know, the, these interfaces with these, the, the social media, your email, like, like, like that is all part of your personal identity. Um, and nothing really brought that home for me so much as like, you know, when I'm grounding one of my kids and I take their phone away, you know, you see teenagers bawling at this. Like I'm, I'm literally stripping away a piece of their identity and saying, until, until you fix these other parts, you don't get this piece of your identity back and you can like see the effect that it has on them. It's a very visual thing. Like, what do you mean they don't have internet for a day? Like I will die. This is like, I can't do this. Um, and, and, you know, it's a little boggling um, at some sense because I didn't grow up directly with it. Although, um, I guess I'm right on the cusp. I'm just young enough that, that I was connected as a teenager, but most of my friends weren't, I guess my friends were, but most of the people that like I went to high school with weren't, you know, there'd be like two people in the whole high school maybe. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting kind of to think also about um, all right. Well, I assume everyone knows where to find everyone at this point. You guys have both been on previous episodes, so uh, our audience should have your contact if you, they want to follow you guys. Uh, as always, you can follow Adnerdium at Instagram or Twitter at Adnerdium. Very simple, very easy. Uh, you can email us at adnerdiumpod at gmail.com. For questions, we would love questions. A question segment for a stasis chamber would be a wonderful thing to add. Uh, but maybe we just do such a good job of explaining things. Um, and, and your phone is an extension of your ability to do that with, with the world in some sense, to always have that connection right next to you. Um, where, where am I going with this? I guess, I guess where I'm going with this is that we, our children, us, um, everyone that's alive today is and will be defined by those connections, you know? So I, I have, <laughs> I have a brother who lives on the tent in the side of a mountain. This is a real thing. And he has a cell phone. Right. Like, I, I don't know how he charges it, but like <laughs> he can make phone calls and, and do all the things. And it's so pervasive and so uh, almost intrusive um, that even he has a cell phone. Right. Like even he has this Internet connection. It's super interesting to me. And I think that's partly why we are where we are today and 
why nerd culture has proliferated is that there is no there's no real separation anymore and that's and it has created that it, interconnectedness for sure but it has changed what it means to be connected and to be together i mean i'm certainly grateful for it right now uh with everything going on in the world i know others have survived pandemics without it but I think what this has shown us is the power of this connective tool. Um, so we are approaching time. Uh, so we will not be able to do the WandaVision today, but maybe we can get uh, Mark and Will on for their own separate episode just to <laughs> to chat about that. <laughs> I can finish. I can finish watching it. I'm like I'm curious what your conversation about it was going to be about. They- to be honest, it might be a good thing to leave to like the end of the series, so we can just have like basically a post mortem. They're they're approaching the end, yeah. right? There's the, the last four or three episodes. We have two episodes after the one that released today. Well, hopefully, yeah, it's a nine episode series. I mean, like I watched the first few with the fam, and they they didn't get engaged. They didn't get on board with this premise to kind of see where it goes um but i am um it's just that my time is limited to kind of watch this thing but i could carve it out and make it happen well stay tuned everybody for that well as always thank you guys for watching this is patrick this is dr ramsey and this is will signing off live long and prosper